0: blessings to all of you. Happy New Year. Hey, if you're joining us for the first time, I'm Pastor Terry. I'm the lead pastor here at Cornerstone Church in San Francisco. And it's such a blessing to have everybody here uh, starting a fresh new year. <laughs> first Sunday, just two days in. Here we go. You know, and, oh, something I want to remind everybody about that for the past few years, something our church has done has been to start each year with a, with a new keyword or phrase, uh, in a verse. And we use that as a, as a marking point, as a way of shaping our purpose as a community. It's kind of like we're setting the sails as a community <laughs> to catch the wind of the spirit. So I'm pretty excited about it this year. Our word is abound. And uh, we're going to talk about that a little, in a little bit here. But let me go ahead and pray. Just ask for the Lord's blessing over our time. And even now, Lord, as I do it for the first time in this new year, I just pray for your blessing to flow, life to flow among us. Fill us with hearts afresh. Renew, stir, quicken, bring back to life. Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. All right. Our key verse for the year, here it is, Philippians 1, verse 9. Here's what it says. Here's what the Apostle Paul wrote. He says, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. I want to read that one more time. And it is my prayer, the great Apostle writes, that your love may abound more and more with all knowledge and all discernment. You know, the word abound, (laughs) It means to have more than enough. It means to overflow. Think about it. It's a great word to have a vast supply, a wave, a surge. I was looking up the different meanings of the, of the word and the different definitions. And I don't know that one surge, it just kind of stood out to me. In fact, the root word of the word we, you know, call a band, abound is the word in Latin undare. It comes from the Latin word for wave, unda. So we're talking about a wave, a surge of love. Think about that. That's a really great way of thinking about the idea of abound, a surge of love. It's as if the apostle is saying, I pray, I pray that your love for God, uh, your love for people, your love for life would abound and overflow and that it would be anchored in knowledge and in discernment, in, in wisdom and in truth. And that's a great prayer for all of us that we would abound in His love, our love for Him, our love for others, our love for life. You know, I would even add a love for ourselves that is healthy, not self-consumed, but also at the same time, um, you know, able to have a, a, a kind of Ability to receive blessing and properly receive the love of God. Because a lot of times when we have a broken sense of who we are, we're like a broken jar that we can't, you know, like a jar of clay, the scripture calls it, that just can't hold and contain uh, the blessing or even the the love that others want to give and share with us. So, yeah, Lord, we just want, we want your love to flow through us. And we want it to be contained with humility and gratitude and, and we want to, as the scripture is here telling us for that love to be anchored in, in knowledge and in discernment. So what the apostles really getting at here, and I just want to put it out there, (laughs) you guys is an informed surge of the love of God, an informed surge of the love of God. So I'm very excited to open the year that way, you know, um, I want to, I want it, well, this way, <laughs> you know, I want this year, 2022, to be a year in which we abound in every way. Uh, even though these have been very challenging times, I still believe that God can do amazing and wonderful things. And well, let's just say this is the first Sunday, the second <laughs> of the new, new month of the new year, right? So I'm thinking one, two, 22, here we go. And, you know, I just, I just see it as an opportunity. So let's go back and, and put this verse into context. Let's do that. And then we'll go from there. So I'm pretty excited about the word that we're about to share. Uh, the, the verse itself is actually connected to a passage that we sat with earlier in our thankful series. And you may want to go back and review it if you, if you get a chance as I really enjoyed the way we closed the year out with that thankful series. But we read this in verse number one. So again, what we're trying to do is put this ninth verse, which is going to be our, our year, the verse for our church for the year. We're trying to put it into a context. And that means we'll get a, a sense of, of how it is sequentially in terms of the larger thing that the apostle Paul is trying to say. That in turn will help us to gain an even greater appreciation for what The Lord is wanting us to receive, I believe. So first verse, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ. Jesus, I love that designation. Servants of Christ, Jesus. He could have used so many other ways of describing it, but he starts with the idea of servant. Isn't that a lot like what Jesus did for us? He came to serve, not to be served. He says, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and the deacons, that is the leaders of the church. You know, Timothy was Paul's son in the faith. I've talked about this before. He was a younger man whose father was Greek and his mother was both Jewish and she was a believer in Jesus. And that made her kind of unique in in, in some ways uh, because she had embraced Jesus as her Messiah. And so Timothy grows up in this environment. It doesn't appear that his father was actually a believer, but He seems to be okay with it. Uh, Timothy would have been someone that we would describe today as being of mixed ethnicity. That is, he was half Jewish and half Gentile. And and he, over time, became a tremendous asset to the apostle Paul's ministry. And over time, an important leader in the early church again, because Paul, though himself Jewish, felt a unique call to the Gentiles. And so Timothy in many ways becomes an embodiment of everything that, that the apostle feels called towards. But we know that Timothy was with Paul about 10 years earlier when the church at Philippi, that's who this letter is being written to. This epistle is being written to. He was there when the church was founded and the whole thing had been, the whole thing had been miraculous. And you can read about it in Acts 16, but the apostle had a particular affection for this amazing church. He really did. They had been so loyal. So true, Uh, unshakable in their commitment to him and to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he, he wanted them to know how he felt, how much he loved them, how much he cared for them, held them in his heart and how much he longed to see them. That also comes out here because we know that at the time of the writing of these words, the apostle was in Rome. He was under house arrest, tethered to what seemed to have been a, a, a sympathetic Roman soldier, but nonetheless still confined. He was given a lot of latitude to engage visitors and communicate with the churches. And so we are the beneficiaries of those communications. And God really used those words to be a gift to us as, the New Test- as, a, as a portion of the New Testament. Uh, Paul had a particular affection for the church at Philippi. Because as I mentioned earlier, Philippi had been his most loyal church. They were mostly Gentiles. And they had been exceptionally generous, financially supporting him in his campaign to uh, win the Roman Empire for Christ. That was what Paul's goal was. And he, he actually laid the seeds for it in many ways. But they had been pace setters for other churches. They had been an example. He was able to point to them and say, you know, look what Philippi has done. And... He could encourage actually other churches because of, of what they had chosen to do. And so he was just very proud of them. And, you know, and that got me thinking about something. And I, I just want some of you to hear this from my heart, but loved ones, some of you I'm convinced have been called to be pace setters and examples for others to follow. Talk about in Christ by virtue of your love your integrity, your passion, your commitment, the sincerity of your faith that motivates others to, to follow Jesus better. And I, some of you, I, I've been so impressed with because you have modeled even through these last couple of years that we can all acknowledge have been really tough, a a commitment a faithfulness to the Lord and his cause and to our church in particular that I, I for one greatly admire. And I'm deeply grateful for, but you know, ben, again, back to Paul, he just loved this church. In fact, he opens the fourth chapter. If you read the Epistle of Philippians, uh, he opens the fourth chapter by saying, you are my brethren whom I love and long for my joy and my crown. I mean, that's like, <laughs> think about what he says about them. He really is, has got them up on a, on a pedestal. And you know, that th- this was a community that I think is worth mentioning. Because it's just something that's a little bit notable at a time when this maybe wouldn't have been as much in vogue or not as common, but this church was really uh, connected to some godly women. And one of them we know who was just absolutely critical to its founding was a wealthy businesswoman named Lydia, who was a seller of purple, that is a dye that made uh, for very unique and, and exquisite garments. The color was something that you just couldn't get anywhere. And so she had be- become wealthy, and she used that wealth for the advancement of the kingdom and for the planting of the early church. We also know there were other women, Euodia, Syntyche, whom he said labored side by side with me in the gospel. So it's worth noting that you know at a time when there were different gender you know, roles that there would be women who played such a significant role in the uh, church at Philippi. That is Paul's favorite church. So just something to be aware of. It says in verse two, grace to you and peace from God, our father and our Lord Jesus Christ. That's his next statement. And I love that salutation because it's, it's, if we just pause for a moment, just come on, stop for a moment and appreciate these two amazing words, grace and peace, that are used so commonly by Paul and connected to Christ. Grace. I mean, any student of the Bible, any student of the New Testament will immediately recognize that grace is a key word. And we really have no word in English that adequately captures in full its meaning. I mean, it's a, it's kind of a mix of of gratitude and, and charm and favor and kindness and, and goodwill wrap in joy. And then we might add, and God's love <laughs> abounding and overflowing, undeserved and unrelenting. That's what Paul's basically say, grace to you, God's grace to you. May God's grace abound in all you do. Right. And peace, boy, do we need peace? Is there ever a season where we needed more peace than this? I can't recall in my lifetime. Peace. We're, we're talking about not just the. When you think of peace. Not we're we're not just talking about the absence of strife. Not when the Bible talks about it. Not in this way. That is certainly one way of thinking of peace. You know, things are calm. Things are quiet. I, I have nothing that's going on that's negative. You know, but I think it's it's even more than that. It, it carries with it the idea of tranquility. And that is even more in my mind, connected to the idea of settledness of soul. Some of you will hear me talk a lot about that from time to time, just the idea of being at peace, the equanimity that the Lord wants to give us the harmony of health and of a life that's immersed in Christ, just the, the totality of God's presence at work in our life that creates a kind of calmness of spirit and settledness of soul. So these two great words, you know, grace and peace, he says, may they abound over you. And then he goes on to say this and look at this. Let's just read it through. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership. There it is in the gospel from the first day until now. He knows it's true. How I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus, and it is my prayer that your love may abound. There it is, more and more, with knowledge and discernment. That your love may abound more and more, over and above what is needed. Paul prays. He says, "I don't want, I don't want uh, his love at work in you to just be something that you know that you have a little bit of. I want you to have a a lot of it, not just squeaking by." <laughs> Not simply uh, an adequate supply, but overflowing more than you even need. And I realize that sometimes we are careful with our love, loved ones, because <laughs> we don't want to be either misunderstood, taken advantage of, or hurt. I get that. And in fact, I think that's sometimes why people are reluctant to commit to relationships, you know, even in a church or just to commit to engaging in Christian community. Maybe we grew up in a less than healthy Christian environment, um, but we believe, but we want to, you know, maybe we we didn't, we didn't grow up in a, in a home that we felt like was really a a great example. And so, you know, of, of, of Christian faith, maybe we saw hypocrisy or things were too rigid and and, uh, I, I don't know, you know, it could be, it could be the opposite too. Too, to disconnected, not, not standing for things enough, you know, that I, but so for whatever the case, a lot of us come into Christian community with trust injuries. I have to acknowledge that. Uh, I've talked to so many people, even, even those who have family that have been, you know, following Jesus for generations, sometimes I'll meet people who've been injured. And maybe that's you. And and if you've been injured or hurt or harmed, uh, first off, I I just want to say I'm sorry for that. Um, I don't want that to happen at all. But this other, on the other hand, I I, I want to say that that the Lord still has a plan for you to live in His love and to abound in it. <laughs> so you know. We, But again, I I realize that if we've come from different expressions of Christian community, that's what I'm talking about right now. We, if we've been hurt or disappointed, uh, or we just have a perception of it that, that we've been given that we may come into it with, with a little bit more caution or reluctance, like we, we are kind of being extra careful and some of us I just need to say it. some of us have had leaders who've let us down. Some of us have experienced divisions within within the church and and so we you know we don't want to be hurt again. Others of us in these past few years and and I and I know I'm focusing right now on Christian community and I realize that that hurt happens even more so out in the world in, and in our culture at large, there's been such division, such hatred, such anger, so many friendships have been broken up. In fact, I think over these past few years, um, there it's just based on my observation as a, as a pastor watching things, even even in the, in the context of Christian community,'ve I've watched a lot of relationships break down. Uh, there's been so many pressure points that have contributed to it. And in a way exploited the fissures that were maybe would have been there. Maybe sometimes a relationship has a crack in it, but then something happens to get, become a wedge and it just breaks the whole thing apart. And so if we've been hurt in a relationship or we felt like someone didn't care for it the way we did, then it's easy to feel gun shy and to become a little bit tenuous and reluctant to invest ourselves again and start over. And I, I totally get that. Because it can seem a little bit unsafe sometimes to risk loving again. And yet when the Lord has His way in our lives, He's filling us with enough love that we can overflow even to the extent that we're willing to risk again. I was reminded of C.S. Lewis's sagely words, and he wrote a book called The Four Loves, which if you just want to explore love, man, it's a great read. But he said this. To love at all is to be vulnerable. You know, love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. Whoa. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. Listen, to love is to be vulnerable. And that, that, and I just, I mean, you sit with that. And that reminded me of something Dallas Willard wrote in the wonderful and deep book, The Divine Conspiracy that you hear me refer to from time to time. One of my favorite books of all time. He says, interestingly, growing up, Willard wrote, it's largely a matter of learning to hide our spirit behind our face, our eyes and language so that we can evade and manage others to achieve what we want and avoid what we fear. That's why we hide. By contrast, he says the child's face is a constant epiphany. It keeps revealing itself because it doesn't yet know how to do this. It doesn't know how to hide to, to pretend to be something when it's feeling something else. It cannot manage its face. Think about that phrase. I know I've managed my face. outwardly one thing, inwardly another. And Willard goes on to say this is also true of adults in moments of great feeling, which is one reason why feeling is both greatly treasured and greatly feared because sometimes when we're overwhelmed with emotion, the real us comes out, and to use the language of of Willard, we we can't manage our face because we're caught off guard. And so whatever is in us actually reveals itself a little more clearly. But, you know, children don't do that as much. Uh, I've, I've seen it now with all of my children who are now well into adulthood. And, and even now, as I look at, uh, my, my grandchildren and, uh, uh, and my grandnephew, I, I, I see this principle as just, it's so true. What's, what's on their face is, is what's going on inside. They, they don't they don't know how to manage their face yet. <laughs> we learn that over time as adults because we get hurt and we get burned. And I get, what you hear me saying is that we shouldn't allow our fears. And this maybe is just the right word for us, for some of us for the new year, but we shouldn't allow our fears of either being hurt uh again, or being known, keep us from vulnerability and childlikeness. Some of us don't want to be known, but then we're going to have a clash here with the the kingdom of God, because the way of Jesus means being known and knowable. It means being more open than we would have been without him. It means being undominated less dominated by our fear and more dominated by his love out of a choice that we make. So, you know, Christian love is though not childish in the sense that it's not selfish. And you hear me say this a lot. Christian love is not selfish, not childish in the sense of selfish, but it is childlike in the sense that it's open and, less restrained and, and instead of operating out of a script of insecurity, it moves confidently or less guardedly secure in God's love. That's right. Secure in God's love. That's what we're talking about. That's the essence of this push. As we walk into this new year, may we be secure in God's love. Remember the more secure we are in his love the more we will be able to love in healthy ways. It doesn't necessarily mean we will, although I know that's God's desire for us, but it means we'll have more capacity to do so, should we choose to implement uh, the principles of the Lord and also with the help of His Spirit, even give Him our well-worn personalities (laughs) and demeanors. Yes. But let's go back to our, our verse. One more time. Our New Year verse. Here we go. Verse for the year. Verse nine. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. So look, it's an abounding love. But do you know something else? If he, just, if he just left out the second part, it would all be about abounding love. But he throws in another thought. He says with knowledge and all discernment. So it's not only an abounding love. It's also meant to be. A balanced love, a balanced love, right? An abounding love and a balanced love. And it's not a love that's based on feelings or listen to me on what culture tells us is loving. In fact, I, I, I do not. uh, How can I say, I don't trust our culture's morality. I don't believe in it. I am a disbeliever of our culture's gospel. I have to say it. I I hear what I hear what we're being told here in the scriptures is that we are not to go by the basis of our culture's definition of love, but what God's definition of love is, and his love is always going to be characterized by knowledge and discernment. So, a flourishing love as we're being told here is not a love without healthy boundaries. It's it's a it's a love that is anchored in truth, as God defines it, that is characterized by the wisdom that flows from his words, the words that Jesus said he wanted to give us. He did give us and he called them spirit and he called them life. Well, that is a very different thing. So it's not a reckless love. It's not a, a, a an unqualified, unqual- anything goes kind of love. That's not what we're talking about. And again, that's the culture's definition of love, but that's not what God defines as love. It's not what Jesus defined as love. It's not what the scriptures teach us love is. It's not the love that, that we're being invited to abound into. We need to remember that it's a different kind of love than what we are being told. Love is today by voices in all directions. certainly in every entertainment, <laughs> you know, venue that we can think of. We're constantly being told this is what love is. And I'm going to say this, the world doesn't do love. Well, it doesn't, we look around. Even the best intentions just seem to fall apart and melt like wax under the sun. It just, it's unsustainable. No, I'm, I'm talking about what the apostle Paul was getting at here, what the Lord is reminding us of. We're talking about a discerning love, a love that is humble and is sincere and aligned with the truth of Christ. Lastly. If I can just add one more piece to this and and hear me out on it, you guys. But I'm talking about here, a love that flows, and this is really important. I want us to see it. A love that flows out of a settled, identity in Jesus. A love that flows out of a settled identity in Jesus. This is a key for abounding in his love to always remember that who we are in Jesus is what matters most in, in this life. It really does. Listen, as we, as we step into the new year, wh- who we are in Jesus is what matters most in life. It matters. It matters more than the color of our skin, more than our ethnicity, uh, our cultural heritage, our nationality. It matters more. Than our political aff- affiliation, more than our gender or sexuality, more than our achievements, our wealth, uh, <laughs> temporal power or, I don't know, temporal beauty, whatever the outward appearance <laughs> tent is unsustainable no matter how many surgeries <laughs> it's, yeah. You know, it's, and, and no matter how much we, we do to attend to it, The tent, this outer person of ours is not designed to last forever. It cannot contain, as I often say, the life that is within. We yearn for more and someday by faith in Jesus, we will have a new body. Wow. One fit for eternity. I can't even think. Wow. That's so cool. That's, that's, that's amazing. Isn't it? You want to talk about true colors. I mean, that's the, that's the promise. That's the rainbow of the Lord. That's the promise of life evermore, not judgment, but life in Jesus. Um, but I mentioned it, 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 matters, you know, the, the, the fact that we find our identity in Jesus, it matters even more than the opinions of those whom we, we may admire most or highly esteem, right? No, it's, it's that we are. To love God, we are to remember that he first loved us. So we are to receive his love and then we are to love him back. They asked Jesus, what's the greatest thing a human being can ever do? And he said, to love the Lord, your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then love your neighbor, love other people as yourself, right? That's, that's the hierarchy of a successful life according to Jesus. And if we have welcomed Jesus, God's gift of love to be our Savior and Lord, and if you haven't done that, boy, maybe this is the time to do it. Just let us know. We'll connect with you. We'll pray with you. If you're online, (laughs) you know, we'll have someone right there. You just let us know. We'll help you make the journey. Some of you maybe haven't ever been baptized. You want to get baptized? Let us know. We'll baptize you. You can make a public declaration, a communal declaration of your commitment to Jesus and your love for him and your willingness to be identified in his love. Because if we have received the love of Christ, then we are to see ourselves, listen, firstly and forever, firstly and forever as beloved sons and daughters of the risen King secure in his love. Yes. Right. That's what I just said. That is what we are. So, uh, you know, I, I, I do have something more to say. We're going to have a, a closing song that sets it up. I do want to remind everybody about our, our time of giving. remember you can do that. Our church, that's what happened. So many of you have been amazing, faithful. You want to talk about a church that. Has led by example, some of you have just genuinely honored the Lord in your tithes and your offerings in a way that has allowed us to have this remarkable church experience where we're doing so much of it still online, uh, as a blessing and at the same time, trying to create in presence gatherings as well. And it's no easy thing to do to continue to find ways to serve you. But many of you have, have just been like that church of Philippi utterly committed to the things of the Lord and to your church community as a priority. So remember, you can give in a, diff- a lot of different ways. You can send it in, you can give it directly online or you can give through the app. It's what I do. But um, keep giving him your best. He you never lose when, when we do that. Lord, I just ask that you would, you would speak to us, remind us always of how much we are loved. And as we prepare to close with this uh, final song, I, I do ask that you would just remind us again that there's nothing better than knowing you. Nothing better. So here we go.
1: All the money that You're better
0: Remind (laughs) us that there is nothing better, nothing better, though I'm tempted to forget it, but there is nothing better than your love for me. Lord, there are times where we are tempted to, to try to find our identity, our security, our sense of self in something other than you. Remind us (laughs) that there's nothing better than your love, nothing better. It's what we really need is what we need the most. Some of us really need it, a better sense of it, Lord, because we're afraid. We're afraid to love. We're afraid of things around us. We're not at peace. Lord, I ask that you would fill us, fill us with great assurance in our hearts. And I do pray for all of you. I do. I get to do this the first time in the new year. My prayer is that your love would abound more and more and that our, our Lord would keep you In every way, in your spirit, in your soul, in your mind and in your body, you would be healed and alive, secure in his love. That's my prayer. Yeah, and blessing to you in Jesus name.